Hi, I'm George Tekmanshov with Easton Podcast number 330, and I've got a very special guest with me right now on the line from beautiful Columbia. This is the Secretary General of World Archery, Mr. Tom Deal. And Tom, thanks for joining us again for the podcast. Pleasure to be with you, George. You are at the World Cup in Colombia right now, the second leg of the Archery World Cup of uh, of the year. And uh, just to tell us how it's going. Uh, characterize the uh, the event from your point of view. Well, it's uh, going extremely well. The, the weather conditions have been uh, quite well. We had only uh, a bad uh, day of weather uh, during the official practice, which uh, got everyone quite wet. But since then, it's been mainly sun cream people need it. So uh, if you look at some of the pictures, you'll see some nice red uh, arms and legs in certain athletes. Uh, and I would say uh, it's been interesting in terms of results because um, uh, it's the first time we see the Korean team that has been selected for the Olympics. We see many of the other teams that are here with uh, their possible Olympic team. And uh, what is also interesting is that we see a lot of the teams that are still looking for the final spots uh, and um, it's quite interesting when you see what is happening uh, of who's winning, who's not winning, and uh, the stress that's clearly sensible. You feel the stress on the field. It's uh, different than other World Cups. Yeah, there's more at stake for a lot of these shooters because some teams have sent four people, and the outcome of this could decide which three they select for Rio, as an example. Exactly, yes. Uh, and we, uh, also, we, of course, had the continental qualifier at the beginning of the week uh, for the Americas. So uh, we have uh, additional places for Canada, uh, Venezuela. Um, first time Dominican Republic uh, has obtained a place. Uh, and then we also have Chile again and El Salvador again. Yeah, so that's a milestone for um, the Dominican Republic, as an example. They've had a program for a number of years, but this is their first breakthrough making it to the Olympic Games. Absolutely, and okay, uh, Dominican Republic, you would have expected it in the men, but it's in the women's event that they have obtained the place, so that was a, a big surprise for, for everyone. Well, and you know, conversely, Chinese Taipei, which uh, is going to have to uh, try to qualify, I guess, a women's team at the Continental Qualifier, or excuse me, at the FQT, Final Qualifying Tournament, uh, they were expected to have qualified easily and, and didn't. Well, yes, uh, I would say uh, based on uh, Shanghai, um, it was clear that, okay, they were by far the, the, uh, the best team last year that didn't obtain a team spot in the women, and Shanghai confirmed that, but here uh, we don't know if it's uh, linked to the jet lag or uh, other reasons, but, uh, well, the U.S. Uh, our, uh, junior team, uh, as far as I can see, uh, beat them because it's not... Uh, the team that is leading the U.S. trials was here, so it was quite a shock that they lost against the U.S. team uh, in that round. Looking at the scores, I would say that uh, it's not quite as good, but still very good compared to Shanghai. So the conditions must not have been too terribly bad, for the recurves anyway. Uh, the conditions were good. Uh, I would say, yeah, the scores are, are a little bit lower. Uh, well, six, nine, five, uh, seven, ten in the re in the compound women. These are not bad scores. Not uh, good. But of course, when you have a world record in Shanghai and two nearly world records, uh, you're not really expected the next tournament will be the same. Um, 
There are good scores. Some of the ones that have very good scores, like, for instance, uh, Tipika Kumari from India is not here, the, the Indian Center Junior Team, because they're finalizing the selection process next week uh, in India. Uh, so it's, it's, it's difficult to compare 100%. Uh, some, the Italian team, for instance, was here, but was not in Shanghai, uh, save for the, the Korean A team. Uh, so it's... Um, it's difficult to compare, but one thing is for sure, the level of scores, and if you, if you look at the, the men's individual matches this morning, uh, yesterday morning, uh, even with 30, you're not so sure to win uh, uh, the set, and uh, if you see the match of uh, Colin Klimicek against uh, Lee Sung-jung, uh, this is uh, crazy, the scores that they shot. Yeah, awesome scoring. And, of course, this is what we expect to see just, you know, running up to the last few weeks before the uh, games of the uh, 25th Olympiad, I think this is. Is that right? Uh, I've, I lost counting on that, but uh, yeah. you're probably better uh, informed than me. Well, <laughs> that's rare. <laughs> okay, so Tom, uh, just we'll, we'll set on the uh, compounds for just a second here. Uh, we are seeing some old friends in the uh, finals for the compounds. We've got Sergio Pagni versus Rio Wild for the men's compound event. And it's uh, Martin <laughs> Damsbo and Mike Schlusser shooting for the bronze. Well, Mike, Mike shooting for bronze, okay. Uh, the level of compound is in the men is so high that it's it's so I, as far as I remember you have to go to two shootouts to get to the final. Um, it, it's so close. Uh, any arrow uh, can make the difference. And, and uh, if you look at uh, Sebastian Penot not uh, getting very far, uh, uh, helping, uh, also getting out uh, quite early. Uh, it's so tight in the men. If you look at the, in Shanghai, there were more than. 30 people with with 700 plus. Uh, here again, uh, I have uh, high scores, uh, 10, 10, I think uh, 700 plus, with a, with a lower uh, contingent of of athletes uh, participating. It's 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 amazing uh, how high the scores are. And okay, uh, th- that's perhaps where the experience comes in in the end. And uh, well, both Rio and Sergio, of course, are known to have shot uh, well in panels before, and uh, that. That's where, uh, for instance, uh, Rio made it made a difference with with someone like Alex Nussler, who is uh, shooting really well uh, in qualification, but still needs uh, a little bit more experience in the matches uh, to get to the final. If you look at the uh, compound women, it's a who's who of uh, achievers here. You know, in the uh, quarterfinals, you had uh, Sarah Lopez and Toya Seren and uh, Lily uh, Nam from India. And uh, Marcello Tonioli from Italy, the past world champion. You had uh, two-time world champion Albina Loganova, Sarah Sonicson, who won the uh, World Cup indoor this uh, this year. And then you had uh, Alejandra Uschiano from Colombia and Crystal Gavin from the United States. All of these top-ranked women's shooters. But for the gold medal final, it's Sarah Lopez and Crystal Galvin. Yeah, and uh, okay, and, and okay, it's it's a question of where the streak of wins will end for Sarah Lopez because she hasn't been beaten in a final uh, a long time, and uh, uh, it's a tough job for Crystal. But if if anybody can beat Sarah, it will be Crystal for sure. Yeah, and then Marcella versus uh, Sarah Sonicson, and that'll be a good bronze medal match as well, no doubt. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's the last World Cup for Colombia, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it comes here to the United States next year. Exactly. We, um, I, uh, the, the feeling of, of all the teams is, is a little bit sad because we're getting to the end of the week and uh, uh, people love coming to Medellin. Uh, 
I think uh, Medellin has proven why it was a good destination uh, for the World Cup and, and has surprised many, many people. Uh, but okay, now we go to uh, Lake. And, uh, um, uh, well, that will also be uh, an interesting destination. No doubt Salt Lake will do a great job. We'll uh, take the experience that we had putting on the World Cups back in 2009 uh, with the World Youth Championship and then 10 and 11 uh, and 12. And, uh, you know, I think, I think we'll, we'll do a good job. But I, I understand that there's a special, there is a special characteristic to the event in Medellin, and they've done a great job. So maybe the future might mean more for them in the future. Who knows? As I know, they they plan to hosting the 18 uh, Pan American Championships that's uh, in the pipeline. Uh, I, I'm I'm sure we'll come back for events to Medellin and Colombia in the future. Question is when. What's also interesting, of course, is the the strength of Colombian archers. Um, you know, we've had a lot of great shooters in the recurve ranks historically, but now, of course, with Sarah Lopez and others, compounds super strong as well. So powerful archery country there in South America. I think that uh, it shows that hosting events also is beneficial to the performance of the team, uh, as, as was also clearly shown when uh, we had the events in Ogden. So, uh, as, yeah, I, I agree. I think that that is uh, because it gives your national team members and others uh, a goal, a clear goal to try to represent at home, among other things. So with the weekend coming up, Tom, um, you've got the compound round on Saturday. And then the recurve finals on Sunday. Any predictions? No. Uh, with Sarah, uh, I, I would be I would a little bit crazy to say uh, it's not going to be her based on uh, what she's done so far. Uh, but okay, so, <laughs> so that's for sure a shot. Sergio and, and Rio. <laughs> uh, um, both both can win it. Uh, in the teams, uh, it's very open. I, I, it's, it's, I, I, my guess is uh, it will be uh, a very good day for Colombia on Saturday. Okay, no argument there. For the recurve men, um, we've got Brady Ellison up against uh, Mr. Alvarino of Mexico. Brady is doing very well in the qualifying rounds. He's in another gold medal final. Um, any idea of what, what to expect there from what you've seen? Uh, uh, I know has been shooting extremely well. Both have uh, had to, to uh, beat very strong archers to get in the foul, but extremely well. Uh, the first set will be so important for that match. Uh, if one of the two gets a 30 off on the first set, uh, it will be uh, difficult to match up, I think. So Japan has sent Kikuchi Hideki to uh, this event, and Kikuchi, Mr. Kikuchi is going to be in the bronze medal final up against uh, Kuban Chan of Korea. What's interesting to me about that is that Mr. Kikuchi is actually out of the running for the Olympic team. But I wonder if the Japanese might not reconsider, considering his run. Well, the thing is that we've seen uh, many people that are here uh, at the moment are not in the running for uh, the Olympic teams that are doing well. And okay, uh, many federations might have to say, okay, is our selection system the best way forward or not? Uh, the thing is that, of course, the, the stress level is different for someone who is not on the team where people are not expecting results than for someone who knows he's on the team or to do certain things in a competition to stay on the team. 
So it's 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 difficult to make it uh, a decision just on uh, one result as such. Uh, it's I uh, I talked with one of the team managers earlier this week and. Uh, uh, the result of that discussion was okay. The, the only ones that are happy with the selection are the ones that are, and uh, that's for sure true. Well, shifting gears for a moment, let's uh, let's look ahead to the big tamale on the uh, on the agenda for this summer, which is of course the Rio Olympic Games. Tom, a uh, lot of political stuff going on in Brazil. Do you you know you've got just as much Olympic experience as anybody in the movement right now? Do you feel that this is an issue for the games to have this? presidential impeachment thing going on? No, absolutely not. Uh, I would say that is the, the, it's not going to have an influence. Uh, who does the idea open uh, the 25th, uh, the games of the 25th Olympiad? Uh, uh, frankly speaking, uh, it's not that important. Uh, it's important and we are working constantly with both IOC and the organizing committee. It's making sure that all the preparations will be ready on time. We have our games director going on a multi-base to uh, Rio. The short races are going well. Uh, we have a lot of the test events. We're putting those lessons into place. And uh, that is uh, much more important than uh, who is preparing open games. Yeah, okay. And then, you know, there's been some concern globally, I guess, you know, about the Zika virus in particular. But this week, IOC and the United States Centers for Disease Control, as well as the World Health Organization, all unanimously said no reason to uh, change anything with respect to the games. Um, and archery, I think, is in a good position, I gather, with uh, most of, of the facilities in place. I was the medical commission is our president, so uh, we get the information uh, quite quickly. And, and uh, having spoken with him on the subject, I would say there is no potential uh, risk as such. Uh, of course, we keep on monitoring it. Uh, but uh, there is there is many other diseases around in the world, unfortunately, that are of much bigger concern than Zika. Uh, and uh, okay, uh, if uh, you want to take no risk, uh, well, don't go outside of your home because there's many risky things around the world. Yeah, I, I rode my motorcycle to work this morning, so I know what you mean. <laughs> but you know, all joking aside, it seems like the media at every single Olympic Games. They always predict that X Olympic Games is going to have this disaster. And, you know, I've been to six Olympic Games, and every time it's the same story. Oh, Barcelona's not going to be able to do this and that. There's going to be gridlock. Oh, Atlanta won't be able to handle the, the crowds, and there's going to be gridlock and heat stroke. Oh, Sydney is going to have terrible traffic problems, and people won't be able to get a. None of it came true. None of it came true in Athens. None of it came true in London. None of it came true in Beijing. All of it has come off much better, and then those media people don't seem to be around afterward to say, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. Well, this, this I would say, uh, the thing is that as long as the sport doesn't start, there's not a lot that they can write about, so anything negative is, of course, uh, their prime concern, and uh, uh, good news doesn't sell very well. And, uh, this, the thing is that, hey, we will have fun. We have to be clear as well. It is... It is uh, going to be a difficult uh, set of Olympic Games. Uh, we have to put it in the in the right context. Uh, country that was in a very good financial shape when they got the games is having one of the worst crises in terms of the economy. 
in its history. So this is a fact. We have to live with that, and that will have consequences on uh, what is happening in Rio. Now, uh, I'm convinced that we'll have uh, a very good competition. We will have fantastic images produced by the broadcasting services. Fake uh, Games will have a great show. It will be samba in grandstands. And in the end, there will be uh, four Olympic champions. Uh, and, and they will be happier than the other athletes that participate. No doubt. No doubt about that. Uh, will there be issues? Yes. Uh, have there been issues at previous games? Yes. Uh, we have solved them all. Uh, we hope so. But it's like any other human endeavor. You know, in the end, uh, the balance is toward success. Looking at the process, we've got the next event in Nottingham, England. That will be the final qualifying tournament for the European continent. Um, among others, we've got the French still needing to qualify. Yes, there is, there is uh, quite a lot of, I would say, uh, big countries that are still have to obtain uh, places. Well, there is the, the French, which is uh, in membership our biggest uh, federation. There is also the host country. Uh, yes, the British. Me. Uh, Turkey is another uh, major player uh, in Europe that has uh, zero places. There is, it's going to be quite tough uh, to get places in Nottingham. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we're not sure if the, the local uh, Robin Hood will help the British. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, it will be, it's going to be an interesting competition. European Championships, the Olympic year, have always given a very good indication of who's in the running from Europe for the Games. So uh, we'll see uh, who gets on the podium because that will give us an indication of who will be meddling or close to meddling in Rio. I can tell you from experience that rain gear is going to be standard issue for the staff working that event. So that tells you something about the potential weather there. Well, they've told, I have from uh, very good uh, sources the information that you can have four seasons in one day there. So... Uh, Maybe like Copenhagen then. Well, yes, I, I would say people will expect Copenhagen. Uh, Weather-wise, uh, you always expect the worst, and in reality, it can might be really good. We'll see. Yep. Oh, we're looking forward to seeing you there. And then we've got the final qualifying tournament, which is the last chance for teams to be selected. Um, is it all or nothing, Tom, or can individuals still make a slot at uh, Turkey? Is it just teams? can make a slot. The team qualification will play a big role in who gets the individual places because uh, if someone qualifies a team and already has a spot, that spot is allocated to the individual. So we will have a Thursday in that week, uh, team qualifier will side the individual qualifier. And, and both will be very, very tense competitions. Uh, we've gone through the same process uh, in August in 2012. And uh, it's, it's going to be tricky. And uh, like we discussed before, uh, we thought we had a, a number one favorite with, with Chinese Taipei. Uh, based on the results today, that favorite, uh, I would say, uh, is, is no longer there. Uh, it will be very, very open in the women. Uh, and the men, okay, uh, today we had several matches between teams that are looking for uh, places. Uh, there was a Fran France, Canada. Uh, uh, there was uh, Mexico is another one that was shooting, I think, against Japan. Uh, these are all uh, countries that are looking for the places. 
uh, and um, it's going to be very, very tough. Uh, it's clear that uh, reason so tough is that the, the elite level has got so much more countries involved than uh, uh, four or eight years ago. So it is going to be tough for all countries to to get things, and uh, um, this is just uh, the sport growing. No doubt, and that's it's a positive development, but you've got um, a lot more pressure on these people to try to make that slot, particularly for larger countries, like we mentioned France, GBR. Um, you know, that's it's a, a bit of a, a bit of a shocking slash disappointment that they haven't qualified yet, so there will be even more pressure when Turkey rolls around. When we're looking ahead at um, the next event, which is Nottingham, we also have to consider that it's the European Championship. And so there's going to be bragging rights there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the European Championships uh, are, of course, an important event. Uh, it's, it's the biggest continental championship uh, around and has a long tradition. And uh, like I said before, the, uh, it always gives a good indication on what happens after. So, uh, 1992, Sebastian Fruit became European champion and afterwards uh, big champion um, in uh, couple of podcasts with myself and Steve Anderson, um, we've discussed another initiative coming from World Archery 
which is to try to crack down or prevent, I should say, because I don't think there's an issue right now, but prevent the idea of gambling in sport with respect to our, our particular sport. Is that still something that is on the table or still a concern? Absolutely. I think hockey uh, is very much a sport where we want to keep it a clean sport, clean sport being sport without drugs, but also an inferior sport where there is no uh, gambling or, uh, say, match fixing, because the moment you start gambling, you're very close to uh, arranging certain outcomes that could benefit certain people. And uh, it is, uh, for sure, a matter that we are following. We have uh, next week uh, a meeting with the IOT to prepare a bill. Uh, one of the subjects will be uh, uh, observing any irregular uh, results. Uh, and, uh, of course, they are monitoring also through uh, certain systems uh, uh, any strange gambling going on that is in uh, cooperation with uh, the big betting firm. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, sport is linked to betting. Uh, um, many uh, national sport governing bodies get funding from lotteries uh, across uh, the world. Uh, so it is not something that, uh, as such, we are against the fact that there is uh, betting and gambling as such. But uh, we have to make sure that it doesn't have a negative effect on the integrity of the sport and uh, that there is much risk. So this is part of the clean sport initiative? Absolutely, and we are one of the first sports to have put in place a certain set of rules. Uh, good, it's good that we haven't had to execute it in, in, a, in, I would say, in a case yet, but we are monitoring uh, our monitoring events are called the, uh, the hybrid system, so uh, there will be something strange uh, coming out of uh, a World Cup or a World Championship. We would be informed and we would investigate the matter immediately. Okay. And then um, there's a couple of initiatives that have been discussed uh, that you and I touched on in our podcast last year. And uh, one of those was the, the mixed team event and how that is going for the prospects of getting mixed team into the Tokyo 2020 Games. Do you have any news for us about that? I would say the, the, in this particular case, uh, there's not news. Uh, there's no good news. Uh, have forms of what those will be for adding events after uh, Rio. Uh, uh, they are aware on our press at the, the mixed team. Uh, mixed teams of Agenda 2020 adopted by the first session uh, with the presidential program of Thomas Bach. Uh, um, our team, the real mixed team, it's in existence since uh, many years. So we, we fulfill all the requirements to be added. Now, we will be added in Tokyo today. I can't say yes for sure, but if it's not added, uh, it would look very, very strange. Okay, so uh, that, that's clear enough. We can't absolutely guarantee anything four years in the future, but we can say that it would be an unusual circumstance if we didn't get it, I guess, is, is the safe way to put this for now. I, it's really a shame that uh, seeing the results here, for instance, that we didn't have it for Rio, any uh, link to the, the, the challenges that they had, because if you look at the mixed Brazilian team is in the final here, and, and for me that was the event for Brazil to win, uh, because uh, they have a, an excellent uh, 
individual men, they have an excellent individual woman, and the two together make a great mixed team, and the result of it is they're here in the final uh, for the bronze uh, once more. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, in the last four Olympics, well, let me preface this by saying, it used to be in the Olympic Games, for our sport, that it was pretty common for the home team to score some medals. And in the last four Olympics, it's only happened a couple of times. We had uh, the Spanish team in 92 in Barcelona. Actually, that would be going back six Olympics. 92 in Barcelona. Uh, 96, the Americans won uh, both individual and men's team. And then the Australians won a gold medal at the uh, final in Sydney with Simon Fairweather. Uh, the Greeks did not have such luck in Athens. No, but I would say the performance of Greece, and especially uh, uh, the girls getting to the quarterfinal equivalent of the medal, where they were. The, the, the point of that was simply to, to point out that, uh, you know, usually it's the case that, that the home team gets something, and your point was that um, there's been a good prospect for success if the Brazilians had had the mixed team. But they may still have a good shot at, a, at an individual medal for the men, uh, I think. Okay, the, the Brazilian uh, team has the potential to get a medal. Um, I would say uh, there is three possibilities, I would say. Um, women's team is a possibility because team rounds, you never go out and far to go. Uh, men's team, the same with uh, higher potential than the women's. And then uh, Marcus Almeida has been shooting really well. Um, I would say here he was a little bit uh, unlucky in his placing uh, in the qualification round, so he, he quickly fell uh, uh, in uh, one of the top-ranked archers. But um, uh, it, there is definitely a potential for a medal. I'd be very surprised if none of them get quarterfinals. Well, I'll point out also that uh, a lot of other top top shooters didn't do so well in the qualifying round uh, at the last two events, and as a result, I think you know we're seeing some of that pressure coming to bear. These are people who are qualified for their Olympic teams, and without naming any names, and we're seeing people who are qualified for the Olympic teams from strong archery countries who've had strong performances in world and Olympic events in the 40 and 30th places. So the pressure's there. Absolutely, uh, and um, it's uh, it's going to continue. And in Antalya, we will have... Uh, I, I remember seeing here uh, one of the archers putting at a certain moment uh, a 56, which I would say is, is, is not a bad score. And so the E goes down 15 places. Oof, with a 56. Uh, uh, this, this is the thing... Uh, that is happening if you look at the scores. Uh, I've had a discussion with someone earlier this week, and uh, we were talking, uh, and said, oh, it should be enough to be in the top 32 uh, of the Olympic Games. I said, well, uh, 60, I don't think it will be very close to the half. Yeah, in Shanghai, three, uh, 760 was only good enough for 44th. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I would be thrilled with a 760 back when I was shooting a lot, and I, and I, I think you would too. <laughs> so, all right. So, obviously, the levels come up. Tom, that doesn't look good for you and me. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to go for a master's uh, title one of these days. All in the middle, so that's, that will solve it. There you go. All right, Tom. Well, listen, I am uh, very thankful to you for taking your time for our listeners today. Uh, Secretary General of the World Archery Federation, 
Mr. Tom Dillon on the line for us from Columbia. And Tom, I'll see you in Nottingham in just a little over a week. Exactly. Have a good trip. Thank Bye-bye. you. You too. Okay, now switching gears, we've got another big tamale of the archery scene here on the Easton Podcast. My good friend Bruce called Bruce. Uh, welcome back. Uh, it was uh, nice talking to you on the podcast a while back. And uh, since then, there's been a lot of water under the bridge, including the Vegas shoot. And now it's outdoor season, and you're getting ready for some other stuff. Let's let's do a little retrospective about Vegas this year. Let's uh, absolutely. Let's rack up the stats. Uh, biggest turnout ever. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know, as everybody knows, it was our 50th anniversary. We were super excited, super pumped up for that. Um, it went incredibly, and we had uh, right at 3,100 archers. That's amazing. You know what else is amazing is how smoothly it seems to have gone. Yeah, you know, having that big of a tournament, it's a little bit scary from the logistical end for us. Um, and, you know, we, we came in full force, um, and it went very, very well. I mean, very few problems, and uh, I think everybody was really happy and excited about the future. And the lucky dog won. Yes, you know, <laughs> it, that lucky dog has always been an interesting thing, uh, especially in the pro ranks. And, you know, the, the lucky dog idea, a lot of people didn't realize where that came from. Um, which was a NASCAR thing. And right. once we found out what it was and how they won and the legitimacy of it, you know, we put it in there as a little Vegas bonus. And, you know, it was there for 10 years, and finally um, a guy won the lucky one as the lucky dog, and the cool part was he won in the first round and beat everybody else in the shootoff. So he was really a lucky, lucky dog. Sergio Pagni, who, uh, by the way, this weekend is in the uh, gold medal final at the World Cup second stage in Colombia in Medellin, Colombia. We were just on the phone with uh, Tom Dillon a few minutes ago, and uh, we were talking about Sergio and how strong he's been this year. So, um, oh, yeah, what, a, what, a, what an awesome archer, no doubt. Yeah, and, and half a million dollars worth of scholarships handed out, uh, you know, over you the know, past few years. That's amazing. Yeah. By the NFAA at Vegas. of course, with the Easton Foundation uh, jointly and our NFA Foundation, in which we award scholarships to the first, second, and third place in all the youth divisions at Vegas. and Of which, you know, of which there are many. I mean, there's a lot of youth divisions, right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's um, it's $25,000 a year, which is a great scholarship program that's, you know, based upon the commitment of these youth in the sport of archery, which couldn't be a better way to do it. You know, we're excited about it, and um, it's got a lot of kids involved, and I think everybody's really, really happy. So, after a successful Louisville NFAA indoor that took place uh some time ago you're now into yep, full in March. full outdoor season mode right now in yankton and you've got an event coming up yes we do in fact it's uh it's interesting because it's our first dakota classic which again is a long running event that we've um done some really neat little twists to over the years and i think we did a really cool one this year yeah just so um, people understand the the term first dakota is the bank that is the major sponsor of that event it's not the first yeah, dakota yeah. classic <laughs> Which is, you know, that's kind of neat, too, because it kind of does, um, it's one of those acronyms that kind of does both for us. Um, yeah. First Dakota is a big sponsor of us as a bank, and of course, we're in South Dakota, so I think people just uh, blend that together, which just couldn't be more natural. You yeah. Know, it works good for us. So, um, so what's the format but, for the event? Yeah, we're excited about that. You know, the, the classic has been outdoors, indoors, um, over the years. You know, it started as the Atlantic City Classic. Um We've tweaked that round, and, and now it's our third leg of the three-star tour, which 
we do a lot of things that but the the big one you know anybody that shot vegas and louisville and comes to the classic is eligible to be in a shoot-off for what used to be the car shoot-off but now is a ten thousand dollar shoot-off and we even have an amateur event for that which is a guarantee of five thousand dollars so that's really cool for all those that participate in everything and that's man, woman, or child. Everybody's eligible. Now, registration um, for this uh, registration is still open for this event. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Yep, registration's open. the The tournament is the uh, middle weekend in June, um, and I don't have a calendar here, George. But, but I you can go to uh, NFAA. NFAA's website is NFAA USA dot org, isn't it? Go no, ahead. It's just NFAA dot org. Oh, perfect. Yep. So nfaausa.org. And well, actually, I'm sorry, it's .com. .com. Yeah. All right, so let's yeah, try that again. <laughs> nfaausa.com, all one thing, NF, nfaausa.com. And that'll Correct. get you the and calendar and the entry information. Yep, and it's June 10th, 11th, and 12th. Okay, so it's um, right around the corner, the really. the actual date. And, um, you know, just to go over the format quickly, it's uh, this is our really unique 60, 50, and 40-yard round. Um, the qualifications for this, um, the qualification round, people can shoot either Friday or Saturday. They only have to shoot one qualification round. And, of course, that's a 600 round, and that is shot indoors at those distances. Uh-huh. Um, then we're going to make the cut, and the cut will be determined by how many archers are here. But basically, um, you know, if the numbers are similar to last year, half of the field will stay indoors, and the other half of the field will shoot outdoors on the Olympic theater fields. Okay. And everybody shoots for money. Whether they're the ones shooting indoor or outdoor, the entire shoot is for money except for the kids, um, which is a really neat format. And it goes to head-to-head competition in which they'll be shooting at 50 yards, the middle distance, and they shoot, um, you know, they, they shoot a predetermined number of arrows that I think is five ends, and then they go to the next cut, and we end up with the last person standing as the winner of the whole thing. So the format exposes a lot of the NFA people to, you know, the world of head-to-head competition and uh, kind of blends the indoor and the outdoor together. So kind of a format. And um, I think your your turnout historically has been growing. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, this this tournament was very small. It was in, the, you know, just around 100 when we got started. Um when we went to the outdoor and you know now we were last year we were up getting close to three four hundred and, and i think we've got growth excited about that yeah yeah so that's a good good growth trajectory and uh more and more people coming out to yankton for that every year and that's the third star on the three-star tour which starts with vegas goes yep. to louisville and ends with the first dakota classic correct all right good yep. stuff there bruce and, uh, and we're, we're excited you know the um all the tournaments have done really well. The one thing I didn't mention, Louisville, the national, um, was up this year and hit almost 2,000, which is um, something that, you know, that's bigger than Vegas was four years ago. Yeah, I was so, going to say, it's almost like an Eastern <laughs> Vegas now. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting how that's going. And, um, you know, as we speak, we're, um, we're negotiating contracts um, for where we're going um, for that national tournament. And, uh, you know, it looks like we're going to be in that Louisville, Cincinnati, Indy area. Um, but there's, you know, some new news coming there here within the next 30 days. Okay. Location, so that'll be good. Yeah, we'll keep tuned um, for that. Yeah, and the other thing, you know, it's um, we haven't even put the press release out yet because the ink's still drying. But we have just signed a four-year deal with the South Point. Oh, four 17, years, huh? 18, 19, and 20. 
So, so we don't have to worry about going somewhere else. We know for the next four years it'll be at the South Point for the Vegas shoot. Yes, and what's really cool is we gained that's a scoop another by the way. <laughs> uh, another ballroom that uh, holds fifty target butts. Um, so we've got expansion potential, and uh, we've got some other uh, rooms that we got given to us this year. So. We got a pretty good deal going with South Point now. I'll tell you, the fact that, uh, you know, 3,100 or whatever the number was, 3,100, I think you said earlier, right? Yes. That just yep. proves that people are happy with what things, the way things are going. So Yeah, and, you know, without a doubt, one of the neatest things, George, that we noticed, and you noticed, I'm sure, there this year, our growth has been pretty even across the division. Yeah, yeah, it um, hasn't been all in one division. It's been um, almost all, all of the growth has been even across the board. Yeah, and that's a, you know, from my perspective, that's a really solid foundation because a lot of the growth in archery in recent years, um, you know, has been certain demographics like kids. Um, and obviously we want the kids. Don't ever, I don't ever want to be quoted saying we don't want kids, but I would be concerned if all of our growth was in just the junior divisions. And the good part is they've all grown, you know, pretty evenly across the board. We've had the the... You know, the flight divisions is one of the huge divisions there. Um, you have the championship divisions, and the kids have all been at pretty equal growth. So that's that's really neat to see. Well, Bruce, obviously a, a lot of uh, a lot of growth in the event, and a lot of uh, new people coming in, as well as uh, the old standards. You know, we're we're seeing the one of the amazing things to me is we're seeing uh, consistently. Um, you know the the same powerhouse shooters over a ten year period or oh, more. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> yep. And and yet new blood coming in all the time, like Alex Wiffler last year, and uh, you know Sergio Pony winning the thing. He's not new blood per se, but you know he's kind of a new name for a lot of the usual Vegas attendees. So well, uh, yeah, and you know one of the things that's interesting with that too, um, you know, and we we have our planning meeting coming up, which is the planning of our, our big tournaments for the whole year. Here we're doing that in about thirty days. Um, but you know, last year we paid fifty thousand dollars to first place. Fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, bears repeating. Five zero, and that's um, that's a hundred thousand yeah. dollar day for one of these top shooters with sponsorships oh, from bow companies absolutely. and site companies and what. I mean, that's a lot of money. Yep, and one of the one of the things we're going to discuss very heavily is the fact that it was an idea to just add a thousand dollars a year to it, just to um, grow it, huh? Just yeah, grow so, it by a thousand know, a year. Next year it'd be fifty one thousand, but. Yeah, very definitely. Uh, a lot of money and uh, obviously the real Super Bowl of art, you know. Yeah. So, you know, Bruce, here's the thing. And, and I'm, I'm going to segue into a discussion that was it's a little related to something I was talking to Tom Dillon about earlier. But very specifically, as these events get bigger and the pressure is greater and the rewards are greater, there's been some discussion that, that the Vegas shoot needs to get into alignment with other major events that are run by World Archery. The Vegas shoot is not run by World Archery. Let's make that very clear. But um, that may be doping control, uh, that is drug uh-huh. testing, may be something that might need to be looked at as a means of ensuring the integrity of the sport, uh, even when it extends in, into Vegas, into Sin City. And oh, yeah. I'd like to get your thoughts on that and, and see where things are headed that way. Well, you know, that's definitely not a new subject. Um, it's been on my radar for a few years. Um, it's it's obviously somewhat controversial, Um but, you know, I agree 100% when you talk about the Vegas shoot. And I can't mention enough, you know, I, I called Vegas the Super Bowl of archery and the proving grounds of archery at two, in the year 2000. And, you know, when we look back at where we are now, yeah, we have to keep up with the times. Um, 
and you know the one thing that we do have a lot of association with World Archery on is the fact that the World Cup final is held there, which is you know Friday and Saturday. Yep. And you know I've talked to Tom and I've talked to the World Archery um, people at length about it, and they haven't felt there was a, a huge need on the indoor World Cup series, but they're also saying yes, it's on their radar. So we have a we have our planning meeting coming up here. Uh, this summer yet and it's going to be top of the discussion is to you know talk about doping and what system to follow and um the right way to go about it but i think it's uh it's inevitable um and of course i would never accuse anybody i i don't know of anybody that's uh you know been involved in 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 the doping issue but um we obviously want to keep our game since once again you know we are the proving grounds we are the super bowl of archery we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can to protect the integrity of the shoot. Which is something that every other major sporting authority does. I mean, you know, bicycling and football and, and, and yes. you know, soccer and all of these, they're all in the same in the same mode. And, um, you know, archery's this is big time now. And I think Absolutely. that it's appropriate yeah. to be at least discussing it. So yeah. there, there's a possibility there might be doping control uh, introduced in Vegas next year, possibly. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, like I said, it's, it's on the discussion board. Um, I think we just need to get you know, a few things in order so that we don't get into it um, and, and don't do it properly. I mean, I want to make sure when we do it that it's done in accordance to the way everybody else is doing it. And, that you know, the other thing it has to fit is, a, you know, somewhat of a budget. I know it's very expensive. Oh, yes. So. It's like $300 a test. So you have to yeah. be you have to be somewhat discerning about that. You know, world oh, yeah. archery events, they tend, to, they tend to test, you know, people who win a medal. But, right. you know, in the case of Vegas also, you know, I mean, the, the atmosphere of Vegas and, and, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but the atmosphere at a lot of these big non-world archery events is a little more casual. And I think that that's one of the attractions. But alcohol, alcohol, or or as Steve Anderson likes to likes to refer to it, aiming fluid. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, do you yeah. do you see that as being on the agenda for that kind of discussion as well? Well, you know, the interesting part is, um, yeah, that's going to be talked about because it kind of fits into the same thing. Um, however, our rule has been very hard and steadfast on alcohol. Um, you know, since day one. I mean, we don't allow any alcohol on the shooting line. That's in the shooting rules. We, of course, don't allow any smoking on the shooting line. Um, you know, so very definitely. And, and, you know, the one thing that, that we have an issue with, it's, um, you know, we, we police our ranks the best we can. Um, but, you know, as most people know, we don't have a lot of staff that's full-time paid, and it, it's hard to, to watch that. So a lot of that is the burden is put on the archers. And, um, you know, it's right in the rules that, you know, you can't drink alcohol when shooting. So, you know, I would encourage archers if there's if they ever see an issue, they need to bring that to the officials' attention because it's highly forbidden. It's not legal in our event, and we do not condone it in any way, shape, or form. Well, that's good to know. I think that that is. I mean, that should be enough. It really should. It yeah. should be self policed. But you know, yeah. in cases where it can't be, maybe maybe uh, you know. I mean, we have the alcometer, the breathalyzer. That's we right. call it here, right? Yep. And uh, in, in world archery, we have that, and and you know, you're required to use the breathalyzer whenever you're called on by the official to do that and that's much cheaper to do by the way than the full-on uh, oh yeah yeah tests. without a doubt so yeah, it's, you know it's one of those things it's too bad you have to worry about yeah oh that's evolution and that's where we get to and we've got to address them like, well, like i said earlier the integrity of the shoot is very important well especially when you got fifty one thousand dollars on the line yeah, exactly. I hope you hope yep, you I hope you're able to pull that off and get a thousand dollars at it every year because it's fun. It's a fun number, right? Fifty thousand yeah. dollars is well, one number, but thing, fifty-one thousand dollars sounds yeah, even better. 
Yeah, and, and the other thing we have to do that we have to really watch for is, you know, we I'm a big customer service person coming with a retail background, and I've really tried to watch that and keep that in line with Vegas. I mean, you know, we've got to pay people commensurate to their numbers. I mean, you know, when, when divisions grow, we have to pay them back equally. And, of course, we, we run into the issues of paying down. That's all very serious consideration, you know, given to that, and we really work on it hard. I think that's been part of our growth, too, is that we're treating everybody, you know, very equitable um, when it comes to the money. Yeah. It's, if you have the numbers, then the numbers go up for the payout. So, for example, the the compound women who don't, you know, quite frankly, they don't get paid the same, but they don't have the same numbers out there. They are seeing an increase in payment because they are seeing an increase in participation. Yeah. One of the things that happened, you know, this year in Vegas, um, we had a growth in the, the prof- you know, the compound and limited women which, uh, for lack of the right words, is the pro-division of women. Um, and, you know, what we do is we have to react to that the next year, which will be this coming year. So, for example, the women were up 30, 40, 50 archers, whatever it was. Their payouts will be bigger and more of them for 2017. So that's just a great shot in the arm for the women's, too. You know, we're, we're happy about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, and the women deserve it. They, they've they earned it by, by showing up in the numbers and shooting the scores. So it's, it's great to absolutely. see that there's a... Uh, that there's increase in both uh, universality, meaning that you got more countries coming to Vegas, and also yep. in gender equality with more women participating in Vegas. That's that's really cool. Yeah, All very right. definitely. We we were excited to see the growth with the recurve too. You know, the um, that was something that we really tried to key on, of course, with the World Cup final, and that's worked out awesome too. You know, both our championship men and women recurve divisions have been growing and. Um, I look for that to grow even more. Yeah, we've got two separate nights of excitement now in Vegas besides the uh, the big tamale, the uh, the big shoot-down, which, you know, this year was, was a little bit anticlimactic, I think we'd agree, but still still a heck of a show. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that, that shoot-off, um, I don't think I could, if I had the power to change it, I don't think I would have, though. The, um, Not in retrospect, The way that no. Sergio, you know, the way he was, uh, you know, came out of the whole flock, um, was really cool, and the way that they continued to shoot off was, I think, just as cool. And how could you beat the chariot and <laughs> you know the fireworks and the pyro? I mean, well, we knew we were in Vegas. We we knew for sure we were in Vegas, Bruce. There was no question there. Absolutely. All right. No doubt. Well, Bruce Call, president of the National Field Archery Association of the United States, and the man behind the Vegas shoot and much more. I can't thank you enough. Uh, one more time, uh, if people want information about the first Dakota Classic, they can go to the NFAA's website, which is nfaausa.com. Correct. All right, Bruce. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you soon, and thank you for joining us here on the Easton Podcast. Well, thank you, George. Thank you for all you do. All right. And uh, that will wrap up uh, this Easton all Podcast. Right. I'm George Tekmachov. Uh, just remember that if you have a question for us, and we will, uh, Steve will be back and we'll tackle questions for the next episode, that you can uh, get your questions to us at podcast at eastontp.com. For myself, George Tekmachov, and for our guests, Tom Dillon and Bruce Call, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again next week.